Welcome to the Magnificat Podcast. We are an international ministry to Catholic women. Throughout this series, we will pray together, share insights, and hear amazing testimonies, typically from women of faith who have been touched by the power of the Lord in their lives. This is a decidedly Catholic podcast, and in this series, you will hopefully learn more about the Catholic faith, God, the Blessed Mother, and much more. Thanks so much for joining us. Now let's listen to a great program. Thank you for your prayers, and it was so great to hear Father Mattia, uh, his introduction, but for selfish reasons, I'm kind of glad I had a bit of an emotional breather (laughs) after his introduction before then, so it might have worked out for the best. Um, The verse I'm kind of framing the talk today around is, the Lord himself will fight for you. You have only to be still. It's a verse uh, in the book of Exodus, and I remember the first time I read it, Um, I was just amazed how the Israelites could be so forgetful. Um, All the prior verses, they um, had been freed from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. They had been protected um, against their neighbors, the Egyptians, from plague after plague after plague. Um, Their homes were safe, their health was safe, their firstborn sons were safe, and they had witnessed all of this. And then after um, God freed them from Egypt through Moses, he literally walked before them in a pillar of cloud by day, and then when it turned into night, it turned into a pillar of fire. They had witnessed all of that, and still, as they saw the Egyptian, uh, Egyptians, Egyptians approaching, they got scared, they got anxious, and they started to worry. Um, they fell into just being kind of acting like whiny toddlers. Like, where's my five food groups, Moses? Where's my water? Why are there blisters on my feet? You know, the the list of complaints. Um, Despite how much God had done for them, protected them, cared for them, loved them, fought for them, they still fell into anxiety, doubt, and worry when the Egyptians were coming up behind them. But we all do the same thing, don't we? We forget um, that moment when God answered a prayer, when he spoke to our heart when he provided a key friend or mentor that guided us in our faith, um, how he blessed us with an amazing, godly family to grow up in. We forget all of that as soon as life gets hard. Um, All of us fall into that. All of us can relate to the whiny Israelites. Today I'm excited to share my story about how God has fought for me, how he's fought for my soul, for my heart, for my mind, for my health and recovery. Um, in all senses of the word. And if you remember one thing from this talk, I would just ask you to ask yourself that question. How has God fought for you? And remember those things. Dwell on those things. Meditate upon those things. If you take away one thing from this talk, just take that question home. How has God fought for me? How is he fighting for me? And how will he fight for me? Um, I'm going to start, before I get into the talk, with three words. You're going to get quizzed later, so pay attention. Um, The first three words, seemingly random, but you'll get it later. Apple, radio, and plane. So try to remember them. Use your mnemonic codes, whatever it is that you use to remember things. I'm going to ask you to repeat those later. Um, I was born uh, an hour west of Philadelphia, 
to a young family, an amazing family. My parents got pregnant with my brother while they're still in high school. Um, I came four years later, um, but they were married and um, supported both of us. I spent a lot of time with both sets of grandparents um, that lived up near Philadelphia that continue to live up there. I was raised in a Methodist church, uh, went to church every Sunday, went to Sunday school before church, and I remember um, just learning about God in a like picture, picture books, um, Bible kind of way. I believe that he made me. I believe that Christ was his son. Um, I thought all the Bible stories about Noah's Ark and walking across Egypt were cool, um, that Jesus um, had done a lot of great healings. And so at the time, I don't even remember if it was my decision or my parents, but I saw baptism as the next step. I was baptized when I was seven, um, because I think at the time we saw it as the next step of kind of saying, I'm a Christian. Um, So I was baptized when I was seven uh, in a Methodist church near Philadelphia. Two years about later, after um, that, my dad's job changed, and we moved down to Oak Ridge, Tennessee, um, which was quite the culture shock, (laughs) Um, to switch over from Philly cheesesteaks to chicken and grits, Um, from like punk rock alternative to country music all the time, Um, just from Philadelphia Eagles everywhere to Rocky Top, non- stop. Football season, that song, it's on repeat everywhere you go. You can't avoid it. So it was quite the culture shock um, moving from Philadelphia to Tennessee. Um, But we found a new Methodist church down there and got involved, and I continued the Sunday school. I was uh, nine at the time. Um, But at that time, as it is for most um, elementary school, middle schoolers, my life was about me. I started a competitive soccer team when I moved down to Tennessee, so that took up a lot of our time. A lot of our weekends, we went to a lot of tournaments, and uh, so we kind of fell out of church attendance because of that. Um, School was important. Um, Getting good grades was important to me, um, as it should be. Um, Friends were obviously important. Boys, a little too important. Um, But those were my driving forces at the time. You know, we all have driving forces. Yours might be your kids, your grandkids, your, your jobs, or church service. Um, we all have reasons that we get up in the morning. But for me, it was all about me at that time. Um, my freshman year of high school, um, one of the other ladies on the high school soccer team invited me to go to Young Life with her, which Young Life, if you're not familiar, is a non-denominational uh, high school ministry that does large group events and Bible studies. So she drove me to my first Young Life my freshman year, and I ended up going to a retreat my freshman year of high school. And at that retreat um, was the first time that the Bible Belt that you think of when you think of the South came alive. It was the first time that I really understood the fullness of the gospel. Um, I had been baptized, like I said, and I understood, you know, God, Jesus, kind of the Um, bare basics of it all. But that weekend, I understood how crazy in love God is with me. I understood that he had a plan for my life, a plan for my welfare, a plan for my future and my hope. Um, I understood, and I'm sure it had been explained to me before, but I understood for the first time um, that there was a wage for my sins. Um, that it was separation from God. 
Um, and I understood my choices to um, disobey him. At the time, I, I stole a lot. Um, me and my friends would go to the mall, and uh, we would steal a lot of stuff. We would steal makeup, swimsuits, pants, and it was thrilling. Um, it was. <laughs> um, but at that retreat, it was thrilling to try to get away with it and to get away with it. But at that retreat, I understood when I did those things, um, not only was there the potential consequence I might get caught, but making those choices separated me from God. It separated me from my relationship with him, um, both now, but also eternally. I also, at that retreat, um, understood that God so loved me that he gave his son um, so that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. And we've all heard this. We all know it. But do we believe it? Do we believe it with how we live our lives? Um, at that retreat, I accepted Christ into my heart. I walked up on the stage and um, just felt flooded with how high and wide and how deep his love was for me. I felt flooded that he would die so that he could be with me. I felt just in awe that I was worth that, that I was worth him dying for me um, because he cared about me so much that he wanted to spend the rest of eternity with me. And so that's the day that I started a relationship with Christ. And I, I'm assuming most of us here have had that moment, right, when our faith becomes our own, when it's not something that we do with our parents every Sunday, but it's something that we understand and grasp his love for us, that we start a relationship with him. Um, and it becomes, um, I don't know, the driving force in our life, rather than soccer and boys and stealing um, my driving force, I made the decision that day, became Jesus. Um, and faith isn't about you know, being a Magnificat or wearing a cross around your neck or volunteering in the church choir. Faith is about knowing that. It's about knowing there's something more, there's someone more, finding it and jumping. And to me, that's what high school was. <clears throat> it was jumping, it was growing my relationship with Jesus. I continued to be involved with Young Life. I got involved with a non-denominational church um, that a lot of Young Life leaders were in since we had kind of fizzled out from the Methodist attendance. And I got involved with lots of Bible studies at that church. And at that time, it was easy. It was easy to desire to wake up early to pray. It was easy to want to really um, excitedly want to go to Bible study to dive into God's word, to have fellowship with my friends. It was easy to want to go to church and sing beautiful praise and worship um, with one of the men that led one of the church Bible studies. It was easy at that time. My senior year of high school, um, I applied to a lot of schools, a lot of universities throughout the country. And I decided on UNL for a few reasons. Um, I got a great scholarship offer from the business program. I majored in business administration. Um, there was also a relationship. I was um, trying to pursue the next step and that was coming up to UNL. And I was hopeful to get a spot um, on the soccer team. When my parents and I did the campus visit. We met with the coach and kind of showed them, showed him the tapes and you know the region, the awards and I was hoping for an offer on the team. So that's what brought me up to UNL. So I've kind of tried all areas of the country at this point. Um, but freshman year was tough. 
It was tough because soccer, um, you know, dominated my time. Every early morning practice, I meant I had to go to bed early, and we traveled every weekend, so it was hard to develop the community. But it was hardest because I, I missed that church community that I developed um, in high school. I longed for um, the accountability, the fellowship that I had. So my freshman year of college, it became like a church hopping to find my new church home. So I tried a Cornerstone church down the street. I tried a Lutheran church. I tried Lincoln Berean. Um, and I ended up with a Presbyterian church. Um, I got involved with RUF, which is, stands for Reformed University Fellowship. And it was a Presbyterian campus ministry and kind of found a new home in my faith um, finally in college that reminded me of kind of um, the community I had in high school. Towards the end of my freshman year, I saw an advertisement hung up to become an RA. And I uh, applied first and foremost to get free room and board. Who doesn't want that? Um, but I also wanted to develop my um, leadership and management skills as a business major. And I hadn't really developed the community um, that I thought college was supposed to develop because of soccer, because of other commitments. So I thought it, it would be a great way to get to know other RAs and uh, students on my floor to kind of um, feel more invested, I guess, in, in college life. And so my second year of college, I um, was an RA. And I realized that year how much I um, enjoy and prefer one-on-one -on -one conversations. One of my favorite parts about being an RA is you would do duty nights, which is when you just walked around the whole dorm with one other RA just to make sure no one was breaking any rules or had any questions. And I loved it because you kind of got to go um, get to know the RA individually. You talk about your weeks and get to know them. And one RA in particular named Brad um, was always just the funny guy. He always <laughs> put a smile on your face and made you laugh and had funny stories about growing up or debate or just, he was fun. But he also flaunted his Catholicism. He was always wearing focus shirts. Um, or Newman Center shirts, and he would talk about it. You know, he would talk about leading Bible studies and going on retreats. And um, he was writing his thesis at the time about Mary. He would talk about that, and it kind of weirded me out. Um, <laughs> but it also drew me in, because it was the first time that I had ever met uh, a Catholic that was on fire for their faith. Um, I, I still have a lot of great Catholic friends from high school, but just the way he lived it... Um, seemed very Protestant to me. It was on fire. Um, and towards the end of that semester, um, we you know, got to be good friends, and I felt more comfortable having ecumenical conversations with him. So you know, I quiz him on, what about Mary? What about purgatory? Why do you worship them? And you know, all the big Catholic, you guys are weirdo kind of questions. And I was surprised that his answers made sense. You know, He answered them in a scriptural way in a common sense way, in a way that didn't seem so crazy. And um, I was studying abroad in Italy the following summer, and I told him that, and he said, oh, you should meet one of my friends at the Newman Center. He used to live over in Italy, so he invited me um, to go to community night in Mass and then meet up with him after. So I went to Mass, and um, it was still kind of weirded me out, the whole um, liturgy of it all. But I met with this friend after who gave me lots of Italy tips. And I studied abroad that summer in Italy. 
coming off of all those apologetic conversations with Brad, and um, we studied at a Catholic campus over there, and once again, I longed for the church community, and obviously there were no non-denominational English-speaking churches available over there, so I went to Mass um, because it was right on campus, and I just, I needed to worship God, and um, it drew me back how similar Mass was an hour outside of Venice, Italy, to Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, it was actually the exact same, obviously a different language, but the liturgy, the format was the same. And coming off of freshman year when I was hopping, 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 trying to find the right church, the right denomination, the right liturgy, that spoke to me. Um, maybe there, there's a point um, of having the same liturgy in the Mass throughout the entire world. And then I went to St. Peter's, and I don't care what faith you're from, when you walk in that, you just feel small. You're just overwhelmed by the history that you're walking on, um, where Christ was. You're overwhelmed by the beauty. Um, and that also spoke to me at that time, the history of it all. I, I had known that the Catholic Church was the original church, but I just ended that summer with so many questions. Um, I obviously love God. I, I love Christ. I knew that he loved me, but I just wanted to figure it all out. And that was um, my third year of college. I was able to graduate in three years because of AP classes. And my third year was just devoted to that, um, finding out where I was called, what church I was. And I remember I went, one of my first masses I went to with my RCIA sponsor that Brad had kind of sent after me. He told her, um, take care of her, because he had joined Staff of Focus, and he was up in North Dakota that year, and he had asked that girl to sponsor me, um, but also just to invest in me. And I went to Mass with her, and when I had walked out, I met a Focus missionary, and her name was Michelle. And um, we just kind of, I told her, I'm not Catholic, I'm interested in learning more. And um, she just that day embraced me. She said, well, let's meet. Let's meet this week and go through. It's a green beginning apologetics book and just kind of start diving in. And I can answer why I believe what I believe. And so I met with her every single week to go through apologetics stuff. Um, and then I was also in RCAA. Um, I met, I led a focus, or sorry, an RUF Bible study in my dorm room every week. And then afterwards, I met with the RUF team director to talk about everything I had talked with about Michelle. Um, so it was really a year of trying to be authentically open to figuring out the truth of just me saying, God, like, show me where you want me to be. Show me what you want me to do. And it was hard because it wasn't how I had grown up. Um, but the, the moment, I think, that sealed the deal um, was Brad sent me a letter. We, that year, had started to date, I guess you could call it. Um, but your first year on Staff with Focus, you do a dating fest, which means you just get to know each other through letters. So we wrote a lot of letters that year and talked on the phone occasionally. Um, but one of his letters was about John 6. And it just kind of dove into when Christ says, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Um, and after he said this, many, many of his followers left him. They walked away. They wouldn't have done that if they thought he was saying it stands for. Um, they walked away because of the radicalness of that statement. They walked away because they knew he meant 
no, this is actually my body and blood. And they left. And then Christ looked at his disciples and he said, will you also leave? And kind of challenged them, like, no, like, there's no middle ground here. I'm not talking, I'm not saying this stands for, I'm saying this is my body, this is my blood. Will you also leave? And when I grasped that, when I fully understood that, I knew, I still had hesitations about other doctrines, I did, that I knew if that was body, the body and blood of Christ at the Eucharist, there was no way that I couldn't join the church. There was no way. And throughout the year, I was won over, you know, through RCA and Father Mattia, um, with so many just intellectual reasons, but that, that was the moment that sealed the deal. And that year, um, my sponsor, Katie Dornbass, asked me, what makes you come alive, Ashley? Powerful question. Um, but she kind of explained, she meant, what makes you experience Jesus to the fullest? Obviously, the sacrament's prayer, but what are the activities or the things that bring, bring you to him? In that year, I realized one of my main things, um, I, I discovered a few others, but one of the main cornerstones that made me come alive was fellowship. The amount of fellowship that year at the Newman Center, um, the amount of investment that I received from Michelle, from Katie, but from the entire community. Um, every Thursday after community night, we would go downstairs in the basement, and there wasn't a single community night that I left without a, another hangout scheduled. Whether it was a coffee or um, going out to lunch or going to play more to go dancing or going running. I trained for a half marathon with one of the people involved. Um, there was just never a time that I left that Newman Center that is just such a gift. Um, to college students, um, you know, both at the university but then after. There was never a time that I left without scheduling another hangout and getting excited for that. And that year I, I learned that made me come alive in my faith. That was what drew me to Christ originally in high school, the fellowship with my Young Life leaders and with my church. And that year, um, the fellowship with the Newman Center community invited me to learn more about the Catholic faith and made me feel comfortable making it my home. And so that Easter vigil I joined the church. I also decided to join Staff with Focus because of that investment. Um, because of that radical investment from missionaries, from students, um, I just felt called to help other students to invest in them in the same way. And whether they be Protestant or Catholic didn't matter, just to love on them like I was loved on that year um, to hopefully help them realize um, what I had learned. In my first year at Focus, I was at Benedictine College, and um, it was a beautiful year of kind of learning what it means to be Catholic. I was teaching others. I was a focused missionary. I was a Catholic missionary, but I was also so new to the faith. And I was learning um, the cool thing about being Catholic. It's not just about praying one prayer and then coasting. Um, God continues to call us to be more like him. And that's the beauty of sacramental life. So I was learning how to live that and how to become more like him by confession, by the Eucharist, by mass, um, by adoration. And I was coming more alive in him, just learning all that that year. Towards the end of that year, I was on a dating fast that year because it was my first year on Sapphire Focus. So Brad and I had written letters for two years. He was at um, Temple University that year. Um, so we were just ready to discern the next step and be in the same city. 
So I requested to come back to Lincoln's. Um, he was coming back to Lincoln um, to work in politics, and I wanted to be in the same place as him. So I was offered a spot on the UNL focus team that year. And in November, um, one day Brad and I were going to go for a run. And so I w went home after I left campus, and I put on my sweatshirt, my sweatpants, and he called. He had just left an interview he had at the Capitol. He said, I hurt my ankle, um, so we can't go running. Can we just go to the park instead and just kind of hang out? I said, sure. So he picked me up in his jazzy suit, and I'm in my sweatpants. <laughs> and he drove me. We went to Pioneers Park, and there's a spot in the park where a path is lined by, I think they're called Acosta trees. They're like the trees you think of when you think of Italy, and it points to the Capitol building. And he had told me before that he thought it was the prettiest spot in Lincoln. And so we were just walking down the path. I was asking him about his interview and kind of reminiscing about Italy and how much I wanted to go back. And he looked at me and said, Ashley, I love you. And I said, I love you too. And he said, no, I really love you. And I was probably scrunching my eyebrows like, oh. And he got down on one knee and he said, there's something I'm very sure of, that you're the girl that can help me get to heaven more than any other girl. And he asked me to marry him. And um, I think I just pulled him up and kissed his cheek like a lot, like over and over and over. <laughs> I, was, I was excited, obviously. Um, but he said, is that a yes? And um, obviously he shoved the beautiful ring on. And it was just, the celebrations began, you know. Um, we reserved the church, reserved the Newman Center. We reserved the reception hall. We came up with our invite list. Um, we asked our bridal party. We were just getting excited. We were planning. Um, one of my coworkers and our friends threw an engagement party for us. Um, I think the week after we got engaged, and we were just excited. Um, and three weeks-ish after we got engaged, Brad got a call um, from the same person that had hosted our engagement party. And um, she said, just like Father Mattia already told us, um, Ashley and the other women missionaries were in a terrible car accident. Ashley's okay, is what she told him. But come to UNMC, have someone else drive you. Um, I think that was kind of the extent of the information he got. Here is the perspective from the driver of the Mack truck that we collided with on that day. I was on my way to Lincoln, Nebraska with a load of cleaning chemicals. My wife had stayed homesick that day, so I had gone by our house first with some medicine, then on to Highway 6 and down to Lincoln. I always like to drive Highway 6 to Lincoln instead of the interstate because of the scenery. Crossing the bridge just past the Lenoma Lighthouse, I noticed a car ahead of me signaling for a right-hand turn at the next intersection. That is the moment I think about often. So many things I could have done differently with so many different outcomes just by changing one tiny thing. Maybe not gone by the house, taken the interstate instead of the scenic way, called in sick myself that day. What I did do was slow down and move to the left to go around the car. Then there it was. The car had made a U-turn at the intersection, not a right turn, and I only caught a glimpse in my peripheral vision of the car facing me and going past my fender. I remember the sound. I remember feeling the sound. More of a concussion than anything else. The impact stalled my truck, killing the power ste steering and leaving very little air for the brake, so all I could do was try and stay straight and wait to stop. 
It did come to a stop about 100 feet from the intersection. There was no noise. The truck was not running. There was no road noise. No sound but a girl screaming. Screaming like I never want to hear again. After running to the car, I can see flames coming from under its hood. I remembered the, the fire extinguisher in my truck, so I ran back to get it, then ran back to the car. All this was taking an eternity. I couldn't get the hood open, so I stuffed the nozzle through a gap and emptied the extinguisher. Somehow it worked and put out the fires. By now, people were there. The two young ladies in the front were semi-conscious and very groggy but moving. I tried the doors on the driver's side, but they wouldn't open, so I put my head through the back seat side window. I couldn't believe how many people were in that car. It was jammed full of young women. I thought to myself, oh God, what do I do now? By the way, did I mention that the girl in the middle of the back seat was still screaming? I looked across the seat at Tanya and asked her, what should I do? She said she didn't know what to do, but maybe she should pray. Let me stop here for a minute. I'm a church-going man. I've heard prayer before. Good prayer and not so good prayer. That day, I heard God's word in that young woman's voice like I never did before. She knew how to pray, and she was good at it. As she prayed, a curtain of calm came over us. The girls stopped screaming, and I thought to myself, we've got this. We're going to be all right. Then I looked at Ashley sitting on my right. She looked so serene, almost like she was sleeping. Her hands were folded in her lap, and I remember her coat being buttoned all the way up. I thought, great, she doesn't look hurt. Maybe she's just unconscious. Then the bleeding started. The only way I can describe the blood sounds trivial. The blood coming out from under her collar and from the corners of her mouth looked like one of those chocolate fountains you see at parties. I was terrified. What do I do? Should I move her to look for where the blood is coming from? What if her neck is injured? I finally yelled for someone to get me something I could use to stop the bleeding. A bystander nearby handed me a bunch of large napkins. Using my left hand, I wrapped the napkins around her neck and applied pressure to her throat. I didn't know if I was doing the right thing or not, but the bleeding seemed to slow a little. I tried to hold her neck and head as steady as I could. I remember the feeling of her throat. It felt like cellophane. It was a crinkly feeling, and I hoped I wasn't doing any more damage. During all this, Tanya was praying. I asked her what Ashley's name was, then held Ashley's hand with my free hand and started to pray. I remember hoping her hands were not injured because I was squeezing them quite hard. I asked for a lot of things in those moments. I told God I wanted to go to this young lady's wedding. I wanted to see her children. I wanted her to be all right. My daughter grew up always saying the same prayer before bed. I said that prayer too. By now, there were a lot of people around the car. I was talking to Ashley, yelling at her, really. She was having trouble breathing, and I would, so I would say her name and tell her, Take a breath. Breathe for me, Ashley. The people around us started doing it. I recall a sheriff breaking the windows out to get to the other girls. Someone was talking to us through the back window and trying to bandage Ashley's head and helping the other girls. I heard the sirens coming and thought, Finally, someone will know what to do. The rescue and medical people arrived and took control. I found myself sitting in a state trooper's car, talking to the officer about the accident. There was a moment when he looked at me and said, not to take this the wrong way, but could I use a hug? I could have, but didn't. Now I'm just a bystander. I watched as they peeled the top off the car. 
All the girls come out on stretchers. Ambulances come and go. The life flight helicopter lands and takes Ashley to the hospital. I realized that I haven't called anyone yet to let them know what had happened. First, I talked to my employer and had them send out the safety guy. Then I called my wife. The second I heard her voice, I lost it. All that had happened hit me at once. It took a while, but I told her what had happened, and I'll get home as soon as possible. She said she would call our pastor and have him at the house when I got there, and that she and my daughter would be praying for everyone. My company's safety man arrives and does all he needs to do, pictures, measurements, all the legal stuff, calls the tow truck and leaves. This leaves me completely alone for the first time. It's only been maybe three hours since I left my house, and the whole world has changed for a lot of people. The tow truck arrives and I ride back to the warehouse with him, get my car and go home. My wife, daughter, and my pastor and his wife are all waiting when I arrive. I tell them what has happened and he prays for all the girls and myself. He's been our pastor and friend for almost 20 years. He's always been there for us through our countless troubles and I can't begin to tell you the comfort I felt seeing him there. But I was in a hurry. I had to get cleaned up and get to the hospital. I absolutely could not keep from going. Cleaning up, that was tough. It's a very emotional experience, removing a lot of someone else's blood from your hands. That blood was the last thing of Ashley's I had to hold on to. Washing it off felt like failure or giving up. I have no idea where to go. I overheard something about the girls going to UNMC, so I went there. As I enter the lobby, I see a large group of people in the chapel. So I sit down outside in the hallway and wait. It didn't take long <clears throat> to see that all these people were here because of these young ladies. The chapel was full and people were spilling out into the hallways. I hear that four of the girls will be fine, but Ashley is critical and it's touch and go. So I wait and try not to be obvious. I'm not really sure if I should be here, but I felt like I had to be. So our life forever changed that day. The right side of my face is paralyzed. My left eye, the eyelashes, hit the eyeball and they had to be frozen off. The pupil is forever dilated. Um, when I get warm or exercise, it cries. I have scars on my chin that Jet was speaking of, the feeding tube scar, the trachea tube scar. I had a stroke. Soon after the accident, I used to be right-handed, but it impaired my right hand. So now writing, typing, taking care of babies is difficult. Um, this, this year is death after a facial a nerve surgery. And every morning it's about a 50-50 chance that I wake up with a headache. My life, our lives forever changed that morning. The only thing that kept me alive during my recovery is fellowship. I don't remember a single day at UNMC, not a single day. But so I've been told, um, that day that Jet walked into the hospital, that he saw Mass getting celebrated, um, a spirit of communal purpose began to fill the air. The Newman Center at UNL filled 
um, with people praying for all of us women in the accident for our families. Um, Focus through social media sent out prayer requests to students, to missionaries, to alumni, and people immediately around the world were praying for all of us for our health and recovery. Every night someone brought a meal um, to UNMC. My parents flew up, my parents and brother flew up the following day, and every night someone brought a meal. Countless people visited, um, and they bragged about my progress. They bragged about when I opened my eyes, when I squeezed their hand. At that point, it was the little things. I was battling fever and pneumonia. Um, Increasing brain pressure was the biggest concern at the time. And um, I was battling a lot. But just having, I'm sure for my family, for Brad, having the body of Christ come together. I know a lot of you here in this room were part of that. I know a lot of you prayed, prayed for all of us women in the car, prayed for me, prayed for Brad, prayed for my family. And we're never going to know this side of heaven um, how much that played a part in my healing. But I am 100% sure that I would not be standing here. I would not be raising three beautiful, healthy children if it weren't for those prayers. So I can't tell you much, um, enough how much I appreciate every single one of them. Um, the fellowship continued. I flew down to Atlanta. That's the first thing I remember. Um, our flight down to Atlanta. I continued a month of therapy down there. And the, the fellowship continued. I learned, like I said, my senior year of college, one of the things that makes me feel alive is that fellowship. And so at this point, I was beginning to understand it all, um, understand um, the deficits that I was facing, understand how hard it would be um, to work to relearn everything. At the time, I couldn't shower alone. I couldn't eat. I was still just eating uh, pureed things. I couldn't eat. I definitely couldn't drive. I couldn't write. And I had to relearn everything. Um, One of the most common tests they did to measure my progress was recalling words. So it's quiz time. What were the three words I started off with? Does anyone remember? No, gosh. (laughs) It was not that easy for me. (laughs) At the time, that was huge. I mean, I I cannot recall them. My short-term memory was impaired. So as I was literally fighting literal amnesia at that time, um, remembering who God was, remembering my identity in him, was one of the only things that gave me hope to press on. Remembering how crazy in love he was with me that I learned about in high school um, gave me peace. Remembering how he had fought for my mind my senior year to bring me to the Catholic Church and seeing um, the amazing outpouring of that down there. People delivered groceries to my parents all the time. They um, visited us. They sent us gifts. The focus team at the time came down to visit, um, and it made me feel, remember, that I was part of the body of Christ. That was one of my biggest struggles, um, definitely in Atlanta. That was the hardest time for me just feeling so isolated. I was away from my job, my house, my work, everyone I knew, my fiance. I felt kind of on an island. Um, and that's on top of you know having to relearn all those things. So just getting those things, checking Caring Bridge and getting the comments. 
um, getting letters sent to me, you know, understanding that people are praying for me, getting visited. Um, it made me remember that I was part of the body of Christ. And we are all part, like we're all going through different things. We all have different hardships. But I hope to speak to just how beautiful it is to reach out. How much that helped me remember, no, like I'm a part of the body of Christ. I'm going through an incredibly different, difficult, hard time, incredibly deep valley, but it doesn't change who I am in Christ. It doesn't change that I'm a part of the body of Christ. And the community around us helped me to see that. And then there was Brad. <laughs> I, I don't have a lot of time left, but then, <laughs> then there was Brad. One of the hardest days after Atlanta, I went back to Knoxville to finish my um, recovery or therapy down there. And one of the hardest days, hands down, of uh, my recovery was the, the day that we had planned to be our wedding day. It was May 16th. Um, and at that time, um, I, wasn't, I still wasn't approved to drive. I didn't know when I would be done therapy. I didn't know if I would be, ever be approved to go back to work. Everything was still unknown. And on that day, when we had originally planned to get married, booked the church, booked the reception hall, um, Brad flew down to see me. He had flown down when I was in Atlanta every single weekend. When I was in Tennessee, almost every single weekend. He stayed up in Lincoln and started the job that he had gotten the offer for the day we got engaged. And this is the letter <clears throat> that he wrote me on May 16th. He said, Shannon, right now it's 1.30 p.m. and I'm waiting in the Omaha airport to come and see you. I should arrive into Nashville at 6.30 and from there drive to Oak Ridge, driving, arriving around 9.30 to 10 tonight. You had better stay up to kiss me. <laughs> I'm trying to count how many flights I have taken the last few months. I'm going to venture 15 flights. I have taken approximately 15 flights that are wonderful because they are taking me to you. But then I take 15 miserable flights because they take me away from you. It's the quintessential the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. I absolutely cannot wait to be done with long distance. I'm so excited to be in the same town as you to be a part of your everyday life and not just your weekend fiance. It's so hard being away from you. I still don't know if I've made the right decision by trying to keep a job up here, but I know this. I'm doing it because I want you to live a normal life. Before the accident, you had dreams, goals, and a plan. If I can help it, I will not let this accident change that. I refuse to let this accident, <clears throat> as far as we can help it, be a life-changing event. You are such a kind, beautiful, smart, God-fearing woman. You are the girl of my dreams. I'm extraordinarily, extraordinarily blessed that you have said yes to me. You had such great plans because your plans, I'm convinced, are aligned with God's. You're a woman of prayer who struggles to serve him, and I cannot imagine that your plans could be in conflict with his. God has a great plan for you and for this accident that we do not yet understand, but I will not let this accident define you or define your life. You, with God's grace, will make the best decision about what you are to do. Ashley, we were supposed to be married tomorrow. 
I cannot tell you how sad I feel. I feel sad for myself to be sure. I want to start our life together. I love you and want to be with you. I want to honeymoon with you. I want to wake up every day next to you. I want to make decisions with you. I want to be called out by you. I want to raise kids with you. I want to be grandparents with you. I want to grow old with you. I want to die loving you. I feel mostly sad for you. I cannot tell you enough how much pain and sacrifice you have endured. I don't know what it's like to wake up one day and have missed Christmas and New Year's. Don't know what it's like not to be able to write, to look in the mirror and see a smile. I don't know what it's like to have my intelligence questioned or my ability to do everyday tasks like drive, cook, plan. I don't know what it's like to have my life taken from me, to be uprooted from my work, my friends, my life, and be in Knoxville doing brain therapy. You have gone through so much, Ashley. But you have handled everything so well. You're a woman of grace. Ashley, I'm truly sorry that we are not being married tomorrow, but I look forward to our wedding day more today than I did the day I proposed. I love you more. I want to start our life together and cannot wait for that day. I love you, Ashley. I hope you enjoy the necklace. Love, Brad. P.S. Go Big Red. <laughs> Two years of dating fast. Every single letter had that P.S. <laughs> Gives you a little glimpse into who Brad is. And then there was Brad. Um, being so far away from the community, as I mentioned before, made me feel just like forget who I was in the body of Christ. But I also just questioned my worth. Um, am I worth still loving? I look different. Um, I sound different. I have different deficits. Am I worth loving? And Brad's faithfulness flying down every weekend, um, every single weekend, his faithfulness to continuing to get married, no one would blame him if he had discerned, you know what? Um, we're not called to get married anymore. But he said yes. He said in sickness and in health before we actually made those vows. And so I returned to UNL. I was approved to return to UNL in August, and um, it was just beautiful to be back at the Newman Center that had brought me to the Catholic Church, to be back returning to work to be driving again, to be in the same town as my fiance again. And so on December 12th, 2009, one year from the accident, we had um, discerned to get married on that day. Um, like Father Matias said, to kick that day in the face. Um, I wanted to become the happiest day of my life. I didn't want to every December 12th to say, I lost so much. But I want to say, you know what? That was the best day of my life. So I'm skipping over a few things. I'm running short on time. But on that day, when I walked down the aisle, arm in arm with my dad, um, when the focus team I was serving with at the time of the accident were singing, Oh God, Beyond All Praising, as we processed in, me and my dad, as I walked past the community that had held me up that had made me remember who I was in the body of Christ. As I walked toward the man that had said yes, that had helped me remember that I was worth loving, that who I was as a daughter of God had not changed. 
to say I was moved would be a severe understatement. We all, you know, all of us called to marriage, or even the day we, you know, Professor Vows, we all remember that day. It's a beautiful day for all of us. But as I walked in that day, as I walked past the driver of the Mack truck, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful day of celebrating how God had fought. Um, Fought for my health, fought for my recovery, fought for our relationship, fought for so many things that have gone unseen that I'll hopefully, God willing, see when I get to heaven. It was a beautiful day of rejoicing. And since then, um, we've been blessed. I had planned to get my MBA before. A few months after our wedding, I took the GMAT and was accepted into the UNL MBA program. I started that. We've had three healthy girls since. Um, The first one was actually born in the front seat of our car. (laughs) Don't have time to get into that, but it was kind of ironic, right? I almost lost my life in a car, and now, now I'm giving life to the first child of our family in a car. So we've been blessed tremendously beyond measure um, with the things that Brad talked about in that letter, the things that were in our plans and my plans. God has helped us achieve in a different timing, and that's okay. We, you know, the world is not up to us. It's up to God. And we have to trust sometimes our plans, our agenda, our to-do list um, are not his, and that's okay. And sometimes he doesn't move mountains that we expect him to or need him to. And that's okay. Um, In the process of writing a book, kind of sharing a lot more stories, I skipped over a lot. A lot more stories from the accident and recovery in a lot more ways or methods that I use to remember him, to remember my relationship with him. um, That I'm excited to hopefully get done in the near future. But I'd like to leave you with these two things. First are, what makes you come alive? What are the activities that bring you to him, that remind me, remind you of him, that make you feel his presence? Do those things. Whether it's praise and worship or running, whatever it is, find those things and cling to him. The Lord himself will fight for you. He has, he is, and he will. May we all remember how. (laughs) Thank you. Amazing. for listening to this Magnificat podcast. Have you been touched by our time together? If so, for more information or to find a Magnificat chapter near you, go to our website at magnificat-ministry.org or visit us on social media. We would love to hear from you. You can also email us at magnificatcst at aol.com or call 504-828-MARY, M-A-R-Y. Until the next time, may God bless you.